And welcome, my name is Tom, this is The Enthusiasm Project, Season 8, Episode 4, and you're in for a great episode today. And of course, before we get started with all of the fun stuff, I want to also talk about another super fun thing, which is thanking Riverside.fm for sponsoring this episode. As I've said, I've been using Riverside for quite a while, and both as a host and a guest, and it's gotten to the point now where when I'm invited to do something with someone and they send me a Riverside link, I feel a little bit of a sense of relief because I know it's just going to work really well. It's going to be easy on me, even as a guest, or even especially as a guest. If you're unfamiliar with Riverside, Riverside lets you easily record studio quality, remote audio, and video from anywhere with no latency, regardless of internet bandwidth. Riverside also automatically records locally to each participant's computer and uploads all of that to the cloud. That means your guests don't have to do anything, which is hugely important, and you'll still get a full quality isolated audio and video track for each person. Those locally recorded files are supported up to 2164K video and 44.1 or 48,000 kilohertz audio. And there is also a mobile app to make things easier for you and your guests. You can publish that recording immediately if you want to, or you can take all those tracks and put them in your editing software of choice with separate audio and video for everybody. So if that sounds great, which it is pretty great, and you'd like to give Riverside a try, use the link in the description of this episode along with promo code TOM15 for, believe it or not, 15% off of your subscription. So thank you again to Riverside.fm for sponsoring this episode and this entire season of The Enthusiasm Project. I very much appreciate it. And other things I appreciate, that is a smooth transition, are good sounding microphones. Wow, what a transition that was. So today, this is an audio only week. Um, there's, no, there's no video version for channel supporters for two reasons. One of which, uh, I'm tired, and I will explain why in a second, so sorry. And the other one is I actually couldn't do one if I wanted to today because I'm using a mystery microphone that is not out yet, but somehow I ended up with it and so I can't show it or say what it is and I really, really, really wanted to try it and to use it and I'm using it right now. So I'm very interested to hear how this sounds on a full episode and definitely interested to hear what people are talking about after we just went through the big microphone showdown and then something else shows up. But this one is a little bit different from any of the ones we were talking about before, the, you know, like the Blue Sona or the Ethos or anything. This is, I guess I can say, this won't narrow it down because there's a million of them. This is a USB microphone, which you might be surprised to hear because I don't do usually a lot with USB microphones. Um, just because, you know, why? <laughs> like I have the Rodecaster, I have a bunch of XLR microphones. I just, there's so much more variety. And if I have the Rodecaster, I'm just going to run everything through that and it makes my life so much easier. But I do appreciate good USB microphones. And sometimes there are certain situations where I just need something really quick. That's like, I need to plug in a microphone that's going to work really well and, and just sound good. And this one, I think I like the way that this microphone sounds quite a bit. It, uh, it's very good at rejecting plosives. Peter Piper pitched a podcast. I'm right in 
you know, right in front of the microphone here talking into it. And uh, there's no effects, no processing. This is just the microphone's sound. Let's see if I can give any any other explanation of what mic this is. I guess what I could say is this is a revision of an existing microphone. And I didn't know that there was even any potential for a revision, but it's a microphone that I've always been interested in, but I've never had. So I've never used the original version of this microphone, but it's one that has kind of been on my wish list for a while. And it's relatively reasonably priced. It's not the least expensive USB mic out there, but it's also not a, you know, two or $300 USB microphone. And anytime I ever heard anybody on the original, I always really liked it and was very impressed with it. And even more excited for some things that the second version has. So I think that's all I can say about the microphone right now. Uh, hopefully, as soon as I can, I will let you know which mystery mic this is. But sometimes, it's, as we learned, it's best not to let our preconceived notions and judgments sort of affect what we, you know, what we think and how we feel about audio gear. With that being said, the other reason that there's not a video version is because I'm tired. <laughs> and uh, the, the video version is fairly simple. I have, I have a good workflow down that, where I can, you know, create that and, and share it. But it's still, it does actually take kind of a lot of time to do. And I'm exhausted because for the past two full days, I've been, I mean, this was a very busy week. I'm recording this on a Saturday, by the way. So this was a very busy week that just ended. But the, the past two days have just been full on like recording production days for a Final Cut Pro course that I want to make. And I've been wanting to make this for a long time. This is not a shameless self-plug. I promise you I'm full of shame. <laughs> but it's not a plug at all. I'm just explaining, uh, explaining it. So uh, last year, 2021, I put together two courses. I had the Podcaster Playbook, Podcaster Idea Book. And those are really cool. The playbook was kind of the bigger one. It's like a production-based course. It took me a long time to put that together, to figure it out. I had never made an online course before that wasn't for, you know, students who I also would interact with in real life. So that whole process and figuring out how to, like, sell it to people without having to be a door-to-door -door salesperson that just, like, you know, in a non-skeezy way, that was kind of tough. But that course has done really well, and I've done a couple little updates to it, too, and then after that, since that course focuses only on the production of podcasts, it's just it's just how to, you know, take your idea and record it, turn it into an episode, upload it, distribute it, all that. One question I was getting really had to do with coming up with ideas for a show. And I realized there's sort of two different, well, some, some people are both, but there's also two different types of people, I guess with some overlap. There are the people who have their idea, but they don't know where to begin in, in producing a podcast. And then there are the other people who maybe have the tech skills, but don't have an idea. That was kind of me many years ago now, like before I started my YouTube channels, like I had all this gear and I wanted to do all this stuff, but I didn't have a, a solid idea of where to begin. And so then I came up with another course, which was the podcaster idea book, which is not about production at all and is only about coming up with and establishing an idea how to see if an idea, you know, has legs to kind of withstand at least a season, if not longer, how to sort of vet different ideas against each other to decide which one is the best one, or at least the best one to focus on right now. So that's been pretty cool. And that's, that's a shorter course, and they can go together, they can go separately. So that's been really fun. 
And I've loved having those and I've gotten great feedback on them, which makes me happy. And I'm proud of them. They're wonderful. But I was also, I mean, I've used Final Cut Pro for 10 years at this point, over 10 years, over. And I taught it for nine years. So uh, one of the things that I gotten asked is if you had a Final Cut Pro course, I would buy that. And my feeling was that would be really cool. I would love to have a course about Final Cut Pro. It's a really fun program to teach. However, that is overwhelming because it's also a math, it's like teaching Photoshop. Like, I don't think there's any one person anywhere, including the people who make Photoshop, who actually know how to use everything in that program because it's so big, broad, and powerful. Final Cut is sort of similar. Like there's, depending on your workflow and the type of thing that you're doing and your style, like there's just so much to cover in addition to to dealing with the technical side of things and potential issues that might pop up. So eventually I came up with the idea, I don't know, in the spring-ish of this year, that if I did a Final Cut Pro course, instead of teaching Final Cut, I would just teach how I use Final Cut. And that sounds like the same thing, but the way I use it isn't the way necessarily everybody else will use it or the way that Apple would teach you to use it. It's just the way that I've learned to use the program over the years. And I think it works well. Like I'm not, you know, I'm doing it correctly, but there are certain things that I spend more time on or don't spend more time on or, you know, it's it's a very personalized workflow. So I figured, hey, at this point, if there are a bunch of videos on my YouTube channel and someone sees those and they like the way that they're put together and you want to know how I do that, Maybe I can make a course that is as close to possible as somebody sitting down next to me while I'm editing a video. So I'll just go through the whole thing from beginning to end. Like the course basically starts with the video has been finished and here's a folder of footage on the desktop all the way through, you know, setting up Final Cut Pro. There's some orientation about what the tools do and how the layout works in case somebody's brand new to the program. And then just everything from adding in footage, organizing stuff, color correcting, very basic color correcting, uh, working with audio, doing a rough cut, adding in some of those polish, the finishing touches, exporting and sharing, managing your media afterwards, the entire workflow from start to finish. That's the goal of the course. And I've been kicking that idea around a long time. And I finally decided to just sort of like jump in and, and actually make it happen. Because sometimes when you have ideas, the longer that you ruminate on them and the longer that you let them sit around, the bigger they become and the more overwhelming they become. And I didn't want this to be something that that was that. Because the other part of it that's really exciting and made me feel more comfortable was this is not like a one and done forever kind of thing. I'm always learning new stuff about Final Cut. I'm assuming people who would take this course would have questions or ideas or, you know, maybe there'll be new updates to the program in the future. So it's something that lends itself very naturally to regular updates just over time with just cool stuff. Or, you know, here's a a three minute quick instruction on this one very specific feature or, you know, stuff like stuff like that, where it can just over time just become a better and better and better course. And I just need to start with a really solid foundation to build on. So that's the plan. And it uh, it's honestly, I'm really, really excited about it. I'm still in the production of it. So that's why I'm exhausted. But a big reason behind that exhaustion is not just recording a course, uh, which did make it hard to record a podcast because my voice is gone. I do not have the the like strength of my former teacher vocal cords where I could talk all day and be totally fine. That that muscle like stamina not there anymore <laughs> at all. So that is fun to discover. 
but my setup, so, so my setup for this course is very similar to what I would call a standard YouTube video. Uh, it's the main camera, there's a B camera, I will be adding in, you know, like little B-roll clips, but the big thing is a screen recording because it's how I'm editing in Final Cut Pro, so I need to be recording myself editing in Final Cut Pro. The reason I'm sighing is because figuring that out so much more complicated than I wanted it to be. And if you've ever tried to do a screen recording, you probably understand, like there's a million different recording apps out there. Ultimately, I've settled on just QuickTime is usually the best because it's, it's the most efficient. You can actually add in a lot of flexibility in terms of audio and, and that kind of stuff. And it records at high resolution. You can export 4K. So when you're editing the footage, you need to like crop in on a section. It doesn't lose a ton of resolution. So that's usually what I use. However, if you've done screen recordings, they record in the aspect ratio of your screen. And depending on your screen and your setup, you might be able to change it or you might not. On my 14-inch MacBook, which is what I'm using to edit all my videos and what I'm editing with for this course, it's a 16 by 10 aspect ratio screen, but the videos in the course are 16 by 9, so it doesn't fit. <laughs> and it's so... It's just so frustrating to figure that out in a way that looks decent. For my YouTube videos, what I normally do is just do the 16 by 10 recording, and then I just kind of crop in a little bit and have it fill the frame. But I don't want to do that in the course because even if we're not using some of the stuff that's at the very bottom of the frame that we get cropped out, like the bottom of the audio meters or the bottom of the timeline, I don't want that to be missing on screen because if somebody is brand new to Final Cut and they're looking at theirs and they're looking at mine, and they're seeing things on their screen that aren't on my screen, I feel like that could cause confusion, and I don't want that to happen. So I want it to be the full screen. I came up with a brilliant, brilliant solution to this that should have been brilliant, which was MacBook Pro has just a full-size HDMI outport. Cool. Run that into the Camlink Pro, which is a 4K capture card. Run that into the Mac Mini, and then record into Ecamm Live at 4K. And that is going to take the screen recording pressure off of my editing computer. So I'm not going to have to worry about any weird stuff. Not that the computer can't handle it, but if I'm recording long, 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 long chunks at a time, you know, taking that off of the computer, taking that strain off is a good thing. And then through Ecamm Live, when I'm recording in the Ecamm Live window, you can see there's a little bar that pops up and says recording you know, 14 minutes and 48 seconds, like you can tell exactly how long you have been recording at all times. And you can very quickly, easily see that it is still recording and things haven't stopped, which is important for a project like this. And it's already 16 by nine resolution. So I can just take that 4k file, put it in the timeline for the course videos that I'm editing. And all of the final cut stuff in full glorious 4k resolution is right there. Perfect. And so I did that all day. Uh, the first day of production, I went through many, many sections, did the whole introduction, did like prepping the footage, did the overview of Final Cut Pro and how the basics look. Of course, I tested all this before too. Like I, I made sure it was going to work, D did all the test, tests and everything. And then I got all the way through the end of the rough cut. So I did everything all through the rough cut. So long, so many hours, I was so exhausted. And then I was like, cool, let me, you know, let me start poking around with this footage here and see how it works. I test, I checked it and tested it, of course, after recording each thing. But when I put the screen recording into Final Cut and actually started playing through it, 
something very subtle started happening, which was the screen was like flickering is the way to put it. But it wasn't really flickering. It was almost like there was interference. It was sort of like like garbling between, if you know Final Cut Pro, the, the interface itself is a lot of grays, like dark grays, black, lighter grays. So the screen should be mostly gray, but there's like these swooshes, movements of little bits of red, little bits of green, kind of like, it looks like interference happening. And it makes the entire thing completely unusable. Like I, I would definitely hesitate to use it in a five minute YouTube tutorial, although maybe I could get away with it. But in a course that's hours long, and just this right here was, you know, 300 gigs of footage or something. It was a lot of footage and a lot of hours. I can't have somebody looking at that the whole time. It's going to drive them crazy. It's going to make them sick. I tried every way to figure out how to fix it, but it wasn't like a flicker, like an LED light flicker, or when you record, when you're recording a screen with a camera and it gets out of sync a little bit, it wasn't that kind of flicker. So there's nothing, there's like no plugins, no effects, no you know, optical flow, screen frame blending or whatever I could do to make it go away. And so what I realized was I just had to start over. The problem being that the project itself that I'm doing in the, in the course, you know, is edited in real time. Like I am actually creating this real video that I will be uploading to my channel in the course in real time. So that means I also have to like delete that and start all over with that in the course. And it was one of those things where it was like, there's nothing I can do about this. It is what it is. We'll just count this entire day as a dress rehearsal. And I spent so much time trying to figure out what to do with my screen recording. The weird part is I'll probably end up doing a video about this on my second channel so I can actually show examples. So apologies if you hear the story twice here and there. But I checked everything. So I connected the MacBook to, to a TV, to a different display, and everything looked great. So it wasn't the MacBook's HDMI port. I used different HDMI cables, like long ones, short ones, high-end ones, cheap ones, going from the MacBook to the cam link, no effect. And those cords I've used for other things, and I know they work well. The cam link itself I've used for ages, and it works well. It's the main thing Heather uses for all of her videos and streams. She streamed last night for two and a half hours with it, and it looked glorious. So... And not just because she was on screen, but because the cam link was working really well. So I know it wasn't the cam link. I know it wasn't the Mac mini either because I tried in different ports. I tried it directly to the Mac mini. I tried it through an adapter. I tried it through a hub. Same problem every time. It's so frustrating. <laughs> so I, I still don't know what the solution is because all of these components work well when they are separate. But when I combine them, they don't work. And so anyway, I ended up just having to do an internal screen recording on my MacBook while I'm recording the course, which works fine. Just use QuickTime, use Loopback to route in the Final Cut audio so you can hear what I'm editing. The downside is it is a 16 by 10, by 10 thing. So that means in the course itself, I'm basically going to end up with the vertical black bars on the sides of it when it cuts to Final Cut Pro, which is totally fine. It Nobody's going to care, but I care. And knowing that it like could have been full screen. Um, so that's, uh, anyway, that means then the very next day. So that day I went through that whole thing and then also spent that night trying to figure out how does this work so I can get everything set up. So tomorrow after this quote unquote dress rehearsal, I could go in and do everything for real and get everything set up. And then the, the next day, which is now yesterday, I just had to spend the entire day re 
recording a bunch of stuff and then doing preliminary edits, which came out great and everything looks and sounds great. So that's a huge relief. Um, and now I can continue with the course next week and putting it together. Not sure when that'll be finished. Hopefully I actually kind of need the video I'm editing in it. So it can't go on for that long. Like I need that video to be done. Um, so probably sometime in December, I would think that course would be out. And I think it's going to be a ton of fun. I want to have a, I want to have a lot of fun with it. And I want to make sure it feels like I'm not trying to feel obligated to do everything the most correct way possible, which I know sounds bad, but I want to emphasize that it's it's just my way of doing things. It's not the best way. It's not the only way. It's just my way. And that's what I'm sharing. And that gives me a lot of freedom to sort of approach it and explain it the way that I want. And I'm really excited about that. It's, it's kind of a different approach to this kind of thing. And it's been really, really fun so far. So aside from technical difficulties, anyway, that's why I'm tired. So... No, what what are we? 21 minutes in, we're going to get to the topic of the show. We I think there was I try not to read reviews for the podcast because, you know, YouTube comments can be harsh enough, but podcast reviews are a little more frustrating because you have no rebuttal to them. There's no way to like moderate them or reply to them or anything, and this is such a personal thing for me where it's like, you know, it's like someone coming in and evaluating like a meal you made for your family because you love them and want to share something with them. And it's like, this isn't a thing I want the whole world to evaluate. Uh, so I don't check those ratings that often, but maybe like a year ago I checked one and it was like, I had heard this guy on another podcast and wanted to to hear more about him because he was great. But whatever the topic of the video was, he just ended up talking about microphones for 45 minutes. Like he does, he has five minutes of material stretched over an hour. I was like, oh, no, I just like talking about microphones. But ever since then, I've been so self-conscious about like, we have to stay on topic, stay on topic. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> the topic for today, I ended up switching this. So I have a topic, which I'm actually very interested in. And I drafted this several weeks ago. It's all about the the 10 out of 10 ranking system that YouTube uses for videos and how d- harmful that is. Because it's it's this interesting thing that that I've been thinking about for a long time and trying to like look at from every direction and even do like some light research into, and I can find zero positive reason that that thing is forced upon everybody. I find good reasons why that info exists and why you might want to be able to access that info on your own terms. But the reason that your work is just ranked just by a computer And that's the first thing you see anytime you sign into anything and you can't turn it off. You can't block it, minimize it, anything. It's just always right there. There is no, there is no good. It's a net negative for everybody involved. And I think there are some, it's the one thing that I can say I actively dislike about YouTube. Even there's other stuff I disagree with or I'm not interested in or whatever. That's one thing where I think they are missing the mark. I think in best case scenario, they're missing the mark. Worst case scenario, it's intentionally harmful. And that's a whole topic I want to dive into. Uh, But it's kind of a heavier topic. And the thing is, for the past few days in the free time that I have had, like at night before bed or whatever, well, actually for a long time, for the past, what is it now, 25 years or so, I've been very interested in camera bags. But uh, this past summer, that bug kind of like reemerged and... 
lately too, especially it's sort of reemerging like again. So I've become kind of obsessed with camera bags. Finding the point that there's there are entire YouTube channels just about bags, which is awesome. And I love them. And so today actually we're just gonna talk about camera bags. So that's what's in the bag for today. And the reason I think that's interesting is I, I have found that when you talk about camera bags, there are a lot of opinions. People who use them have their favorites, have things they don't like. And I actually would not mind hearing some opinions. So I'm happy to like take feedback on this. Next week's episode is going to be a Q&A episode. So right now here's an informal call for questions and stuff or comments. Um, but I'll, I'll do that more formally later on too. So I'm very interested in feedback on this. And I'm interested in sharing some thoughts and maybe even helping me sort of just navigate this. It's really fun. This is sort of the disclaimer is this is all fun and it's a it's a cool little journey to be on. I have a very, very clear memory of being a kid and the very first camcorder that I've used, the Sony Handycam that I've talked about, it belonged to my grandpa and he had his little like camcorder bag. You know, it was from the late 80s, like the type of like gear bag you would have for a camcorder was sort of this very specific thing. And he had that with like the instruction manuals and some filters and shoulder straps and batteries and the charger and everything's like, you know, strapped in and organized. And whenever he would like bring the camera over or take the camera out at an event and I would see that, I thought it was the coolest thing. Like you have this amazing tool. I'm like five years old. You have this amazing tool and you have like this kit. I love, I love kits just in general. You have this kit that's just like dedicated to this thing and it's got everything you need and then you can just transport it everywhere. I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. When I eventually had my own camera around like middle school, I remember my friend and I, we went to Kmart and they had these camera bags there that were like $11, maybe $12. They were sort of shoulder bags and they were pretty small, but they held like a Sony Handycam and your batteries and stuff and, and a bunch of tapes because instead of memory cards, you had to have like a whole bunch of tapes in your bag. And I remember I had that bag for years. Actually, I, that bag got, ended up getting stolen. Otherwise, I never would have gotten rid of it. But I had it for many, many, many years. And it was just this basic $12 bag, $11 bag from Kmart. And I loved that bag. That was sort of a thing where I was like, I love, like, it just worked really well. And I think at the time, I just never, I didn't consider there were other options. It wasn't like, oh, there's a, there's an infinite number of camera bags I can choose from. It was like, I went to the store, this was the camera bag they had, so that's the one that I bought, and it was also the one I could afford because I'm 12 and I have $12. And I never thought about it again. When I started getting into photography later on, like as an adult especially, then it was like, oh my God. Actually, one of the things that even made me want to start posting stuff online, I'm just remembering this, I'm sorry if I kind of like jumped there. I remember in 2009, I think it was 2009, I had gotten my first DSLR in 2007, and in 2009, I was looking for a backpack for all of the gear, and I was like oogling message board threads where people would be like, show me your camera bag, and i just see everybody's camera bags. And somebody posted a thing where they're like, here's a Dekine mission photo. That was the, the brand was Dekine, and the bag was the mission photo. And he's like, this bag just came out, and he posted this link to his website, which was such a cool review. It was like so well-written, and the photos on it were amazing. And I remember thinking, this is awesome. Like, I would love to, to do this, to, to make like a post where I can share my thoughts and take these really nice pictures of something, basically like a product review. Um, but I, I thought of doing it as a blog. I didn't even think of YouTube being an option because 
YouTube was obviously around then, but it wasn't what it is now where it's like, now if you if you Google search like a, a certain kind of bag, like if you searched, you know, Dekine camera bag, you're just going to find YouTube videos as the search results. That was not the case back then. <laughs> the case for the bag, the camera, anyway. So that that was sort of a thing that like kicked it off. And then I, I ended up like getting that bag and it was a little, it was a little too big. And, and then, I don't know, was that 2009, 2010? And I'm still sort of searching, you know, for that perfect camera bag. And I think I've come very close in a number of ways. So that's kind of what we're talking about. It's funny too, because as I've been thinking about this, I keep saying it's in the bag, it's in the bag. There was a local store for years that sold bags and they were called It's In The Bag. And I have I have my camera bag right here. But their radio ads would play and they would say like, you know, come on down today to It's In The Bag where it's in the bag. And there was always like the sound of a zipper. And it was so cheesy and I loved it. Sadly, that store, I think, went out of business during the pandemic. But it was a, it was like from floor to ceiling, just bags everywhere. Everything, you know, where, where there's camera bags, hiking bags, expensive inexpensive everything was there they had amazing service so if you bought a bag from them and it got torn or the zipper broke or whatever they would fix it for you no problem they customize stuff for you it was the best freaking place ever i have a i still have a regular backpack that i bought from them i love that that doesn't exist anymore so i can't just go try stuff super easily there's no good like local camera stores near me or anything where i can try any of the stuff that i'm interested in so i spend a lot of time trying to watch YouTube reviews and uh, and reading stuff. I did find a really great website that I definitely recommend. It's called the Phoblographer, like photographer, but blog, Phoblographer, which right away, huge points for that website name for me. Um, they have a ton of gear reviews, but they have an entire camera bag section and they're all just like I liked way back in 2009. They're all just wit- written reviews with awesome photos. And it seems like, they have different people writing the reviews and checking things out, but they they cover all the stuff I actually care about, like how the bags fit. They show pictures of like, here's a, you know, a five foot 10 person. Here's why it works or doesn't work. Seems like I share a lot of similar opinions. So I kind of like, I trust their gauge when they say they don't like something. It's usually for the same reasons. I wouldn't like it. That's been great. They, they must have like a hundred, 150 separate little camera bag review blogs. And they make sure to use each bag for several weeks before um you know before posting their review which is great it's it's much better than you know anyone can take a bag out of a out of a box and be like this is my new camera bag it's awesome but i am kind of more interested since i can't try these things on myself i'm more interested in what you think after you actually use it and how it really works for you there's also a youtube channel called sold out media that is fantastic their production value is super high but it's a, it's a relatively small channel. And every time I watch like an amazing bag review and I'm like, this video has three comments. Like it should have, this is like the best review of this bag right here. Um, and it's just like, it's people geeking out about camera bags essentially. And they pretty much they always like review something or do an overview. And they usually do like a follow-up video that also includes like what can fit in the bag, that kind of stuff. It's so much fun and just super addicting to watch. So those are some resources that I've been using and definitely recommending so here's what I'm looking for. I think I have I, th- I have some contenders. Ultimately, if I could just like, if I could just make summon the perfect camera bag, and maybe you know that this exists and it's, it's you know, 
yeah, maybe you know this exists and I'm unaware of it. I'm looking for a backpack. I do have, in terms of messenger over-the-shoulder bags, the Tenba DNA messenger bags. I have, well, I had two of those, but then I got, I had the smaller one, I got the bigger one. Best messenger bag. It's so good. It's so strong. It's awesome. I just, like, the the having the every, the weight of everything on one shoulder just isn't exactly what I wanted. I felt like I don't have super broad shoulders, so... Sometimes messenger bags slide off pretty quickly, whereas a backpack, I'm hands-free and it feels more securely attached. So, and I like the way you can organize a backpack. So I'm looking for a backpack and I'm looking for a smaller backpack, not not the giant one that looks like you have, like you're a turtle with a shell on your back or, you know, you have just, <laughs> I, don't, I, just I don't need a U-Haul truck on my back, basically. So a small backpack, what I consider small, something like, at max 24 liters preferably smaller than that so like something that's that's really really small i would like it to hold a 14 inch laptop i did find an amazing small camera bag several years ago from dakine because i had that one and it was really well built dakine i think is more known for like snowboarding equipment but it's a good company to to look at for something that needs to be strong and durable and tough and they had a did I did a video about this. It was called the 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 kind sink. I think it was a 15 liter bag. It's like the perfect size. And it had a cool compartment in the top with a blue interior. It had um a camera compartment kind of in the bottom, like it was sort of like a split thing. Uh the only downside is it didn't have a laptop compartment, which I did not care about when I bought it, because I like didn't have a laptop, so it was not an issue for me. But then eventually when I got a laptop and started traveling more it became sort of like a hassle to travel with the laptop and the camera bag. And and I realized, okay, yes, laptop compartment in a camera bag, even though I'm typically like, I'm not going to be going, I don't know, I'm thinking of when Heather and I were in New York earlier this year. I'm not going to be walking around New York City with my MacBook in my backpack, probably. But it's nice to have it there. And then you just take that out wherever in your hotel room, and then you go out and do stuff. Or if you are traveling to something like a conference or an event like that, then definitely for sure, you know, the laptop will be in the bag and I want to have room for that. I would like for it to have rear access, not front loading for a couple of reasons. Um, a big one being security. I just think that rear access is safer than front ones where someone can come up behind you and just unzip your stuff. Not that you wouldn't feel that, but I don't know, I just feel that way. So rear loading is good. And the other reason I don't like front access is because it usually means that to get the stuff out of the bag, you have to set it down where the back of the bag and the straps are on the ground. And then you pick that up and put that on you. And depending on where you set it down, now you might have dust and dirt and stuff on you from the ground. So I like back loading bags because you put the front of the bag down, the straps and stuff never touch the ground, you get what you need out and then you you put it back. But in addition to that, I would really, really, it's not, I would really like, it's required that the bag does have some kind of top access or a top compartment because I don't want to have to constantly take it off. The problem with my big, with it, well, actually with a couple of other camera backpacks that I've had is that they, sorry, I keep bumping the table. I'm not used to this microphone yet. <laughs> um, the problem with a couple other camera backpacks that I have or have had in the past is they don't have any other way to get into them other than the main compartment and it's really inconvenient. Like, oh, I want to get my camera out. Hang on, let me stop, set this down, unzip the whole thing, show the whole world all the stuff that's in my bag, and then 
take out what I need. Not a fan of that. I like having a top compartment that where I can fit a camera um, or just, you know, other stuff. If, if I like being able, you know, I don't know if you walk into a store and you buy something or you need lunch, you just stick it in this little easy to access compartment. I think that's great. If that top compartment were big enough to accommodate like the a7 IV with the Sony B1M microphone attached to it, so with the video mic on it, so that way like the run and gun setup is just there, totally set up at all times, take it out, use it, put it back, that that would be absolutely ideal. Uh, definitely want it to be durable. Like, I'm, you know, if you set it down, if dirt gets on it or it gets, you know, scuffed up a little bit, you can just kind of like dust it off, wipe it off. Definitely want it to be at least, well, pretty decently rain resistant. I live in the desert. It don't rain much here, but the nature of a bag is it's something you take with you. And so all of my bags at one time and another have ended up in rainstorms, snowstorms, that kind of stuff. And it's not fun if you have a bag that's not rated for that kind of thing. I definitely want it to be comfortable. I don't want it to feel like I'm holding a cinder block on my back. I want the straps to be comfy. It doesn't need to be big. I don't need like the big giant, like I'm not climbing up Mount Everest or anything like that. Like, you know, simple. I definitely don't want it to look like a camera bag for obvious reasons. You know, don't want to just walk around advertising a camera bag. And I wouldn't want it to have a black interior because obviously like a blue interior would be amazing, but camera gear is black. And so it's so easy to lose stuff in a black camera bag, especially if you're not in a bright area. So having a not black interior is the way to go. <sighs> That's what I'm looking for. If you know of something that checks all those off, definitely let me know. But I think there are a few things that might kind of check some of those off. So that's what we want to talk about now. The The backpacks that I've had in the past, the Dekine one I mentioned, that one didn't have a laptop thing. Um, so I, yeah, I don't have that one anymore. Um, the Think Tank Streetwalker version two was a giant camera backpack. I think it's a 35 liter backpack. I took that like to Switzerland and Iceland and really spent a lot of time, a lot of days with that thing just on my back. It's a very well-built camera backpack and it's huge and it's way too big. That is where I learned that I don't like only being able to access the main compartment through the main compartment, nope, or accessing my gear through the main compartment. And it's also where I learned a giant camera bag just isn't for me. I'm five foot, I'm like just under five foot 10 and under 150 pounds. So I'm not a very giant person and a giant bag doesn't work, you know, I don't, I'm always going to look like a dork, but I would like to look me being tiny and or small ish. And then having a, a giant camera bag is it looks exceptionally dorky. So I, I don't want that. <laughs> and um, so I had that one. And then the, uh, the next bag I got after that, I got this in 2020 and I've used it a lot. I'm like trying to reach over. I need to show you, even though this is audio only, it is the brevity jumper that is real close to being my favorite camera bag. Um, I think I've talked about it a few times. It's an amazing bag. If you look at them, it's funny because I think brevity markets itself to a lot of like, to a, a younger audience. And so if you look at the reviews, people complain about the price. The price is like $120 or something. It's very reasonable in the world of high quality camera bags. A lot of them are hundreds of dollars. And I don't mind that. I don't mind, I don't want to waste money, but I don't mind spending money on something that's going to be a really useful tool to me for a long, long time and protect really expensive gear and equipment that's going inside of it. Like maybe the $12 bag isn't the way to go for that. 
Um, and so, yeah, so I guess that, that's price. But the Brevity Jumper, it's it's a, it looks just like kind of like a Jansport backpack. Like nobody's going to think twice when they see you with that. It comes in a million different colors, uh, but it's really like it can hold a lot. It it's, it's, looks like a tiny bag, but you can really fill it up with a lot of camera gear. It has a front access rear compartment that you can put your stuff in, like, you know, a camera body or two and a lens or two. And then it does have a top compartment that's pretty big. It can barely, barely, barely kind of hold the a7 IV with the microphone on it, but it's a little, it's a little risky. It's not a super padded bag, so it's not something that's going to withstand lots of dropping or anything like that. It's got some, it's got side access, which I was really excited about, but turns out never, like never really used it. Uh, it does have a laptop compartment. It's really comfortable, even though the straps are super simple. Uh, the downside to it is the material it's made out of. It's kind of fabric-y. I did learn you can machine wash it. So you just put it in the washing machine and kind of comes out like new, which is cool. Um, so it's strong. The, the material doesn't fall apart, but it gets dirty really quickly, especially if you get a lighter colored bag like I have. Uh, and the other downside, though, is that it's really not, it's really not that water resistant. It can withstand some light moisture and, and light s- sprinkles and stuff. But, you know, I was wearing that all around New York City and there was a like an insane wind rainstorm with, you know, sideways rain and the whole deal. And I was, it really became a thing of like, oh my God, I have to protect the camera bag, which is usually not something I want to think about. Where ironically, all the other bags, like Tenba bags or the Think Tank one, the ones that you could just put, you know, the car wash sprayer on them and everything's going to be fine. Those always come with like wind screens and rain screens. And it's like, why would I need this? This bag is bulletproof. I'm not going to need this weather cover. Whereas then the the one bag I have that actually needs something like that doesn't have one. What? Why? <laughs> so anyway, um, the brevity is great. There's a couple things I don't like about it. Um, I've used it, I use that one probably the most because it's been a couple of years I was using that when I was teaching, going back and forth to work. And then it's just been my like personal bag ever since. The things I don't like about it are the front loading. It's sort of, it, it's balanced in a weird way. And so I've definitely had gear almost fall out a couple of times if it's not totally zipped all the way. That's not fun. And it just doesn't feel super secure. Um, the material, like I mentioned, not totally my favorite. And the dividers inside are also, they're the ones where the Velcro is only on the side, not on the bottom. So you have your Velcro dividers you can move around, but they, because they don't touch the bottom and the bag isn't super rigid, if you move, like stuff can slip under dividers. And so sometimes I'll have something like batteries in one compartment and then I'll, you know, I'll walk around for a while, open the bag and now the batteries will be like on top of my camera. And I'm like, oh geez, these things are just like smashing up against this thing for who knows how long. Not a fan of, not a fan of that. So trying to remedy those things is important. I've had that bag for a while now. So this past summer, I uh, I made a video on my second channel where I'd gotten a new camera bag, which is my current camera bag. And I actually, it's funny, I was watching that video and I wanted to do, it talks about the brevity and it talks about the new bag. And I'd wanted to do like a more, like a real video about the brevity and this other one for my main channel. And as I was putting that video together, I was like, you know what? The video I made for my second channel is way better than anything else I'm going to make right now. So I ended up actually taking it off of my second channel and kind of polishing it up a little bit, adding in some more, like a couple little B-roll clips and stuff. And then, um, 
scheduling it on my main channel. So it, it's not out yet, but that if you if you saw that video from this past summer and then in like a week or two you see you're like, didn't I see that video? Yes, you did. Uh, that was just that video was literally getting three views a week. And I was like, this is this is better than the video I'm gonna spend days making for the main channel. So it's getting nothing over here. I'm just gonna take that and put it over here. Um, so anyway, that's the explanation of that. But what I found, which is very interesting, is the Manfrotto, sorry, I'm looking at it, ProLite Backloader. So Manfrotto, primarily known for tripods and things, also has a lot of camera bags. And they revamped this series, or maybe this is a new series of bag, the ProLite series. They sort of have a, this is the small they have a small and a medium, but no large, which I think by default makes the medium a large, but we don't need to go into that. I have the small. It says that it's an, this is where it gets confusing. It says that it's an 18 liter bag, but it is, from what I can tell, external dimensions, it's slightly bigger than most 24 liter bags. So I don't know who's measuring what, because um, the the brevity is like 17 liters, I think, and this bag, it looks a lot bigger than the Brevity, but it's 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 about as big as I would be able to go with the camera bag, maybe slightly too big, but it does have a top access. It does have a laptop compartment. It does have rear, rear main compartment um, opening. There is a different version. There's another version called the front loader that has everything, but it loads in the front. And they have another one, I think it's called the flex loader, where it's like all kinds of different stuff. So they they kind of know people have different preferences and they took the same design and sort of shifted it around to accommodate that. So I have the backloader one. It is super well-made. It looks really neat. The material, you can hear it. It's like, it's a very strong, like it's not, it's weatherproof, not waterproof, but very water resistant. It's not going to get beat up. It's not going to fall apart. It's an incredibly well-built bag. The inside is light gray and then they have these awesome super like padded strong the best camera dividers i've ever used in there so it's like it's super customizable it's pretty perfect the only the only thing that like the thing about it is honestly i I need to use it more i it's been a few months that i've had it but i just haven't like done a ton of traveling or done much so it hasn't gotten the use that i would hope that it would um i love it though overall it is it is just slightly big, I guess. And it's, it's kind of rigid. So it's even when it's totally empty, like right now I'm looking at it and it's currently empty, but it almost looks like it's bulging, like it's packed super full, which happens with the brevity. It doesn't take much to make that bag. It looks very like right now it's very just sort of slim and nothing's happening. But as soon as you just put a few things in it, it's like, and it looks bloated, which always kind of looks a little silly too. So I, I kind of like, it's a weird thing, but it's like, I don't want it to seem like that guy's got just a whole bunch of stuff in his backpack when literally there's nothing in the backpack. Um, otherwise, I mean, it's pretty perfect. The other thing is, I guess this top compartment is you open it up and you can adjust how much space the top compartment takes or if it's even there at all. There's a zipper that opens it, but it doesn't open super wide. So even though the space is pretty big, the, I don't know why, why am I showing the bag? This is audio only, but anyway, this is for my benefit. So even though the space inside is pretty big, you, you're like, you're always going to be hitting your hands on the zippers when you move it in and out. And when you take equipment in or out, in or out of the, the top compartment, it's always getting rubbed up against the zipper a little bit. And 
that's just not something I'm super crazy about when it comes to delicate camera equipment. So that's, I mean, those are pretty minor complaints, honestly, but those are my complaints. And the, the laptop compartment is on the inside of the back lid. So that's fine. That makes sense. But I kind of like it when the laptop is in sort of its separate compartment. I don't know. It's just a little nitpicky, but I just need to use this one more. The other ones though, that I've been looking at. So I feel bad because I, I got, I got this one, but there's a little part of me that's just like, I love it and I'm excited for it. And I just need to keep using it more. But there's a part of me that's like, I think there might just be, you know, when something fits, it just kind of clicks, you know, and, and you, you just, I don't know. Sometimes you need to warm up to things and other times it's just immediate. And I don't know if this is one of those. So the other ones that I've been looking at, uh, when Peter Lindgren was here, he had the PGY Tech One Mo, which is a 24 liter bag, which I thought was too big, but it, I think it's the same <laughs> size as this bag now. Uh, that was a really cool bag in terms of durability, what it could carry, but I didn't like the I didn't like the interior. It's kind of like this weird green color, and it didn't have a top access like I wanted. So that's a really common one that people have recommended me. Um, the Manfrotto bag that I just talked about. There's a new bag from Tenba. Because I have the Tenba Messenger bags, I'm really, really impressed with Tenba. Their bags are so well made. They do tend to add like cool, Tenba to add cool colors like pops of bright blue and stuff, which I appreciate. And their stuff is really well built and really well made. And I just trust it a lot. So they have a new bag that's called the Axis. Well, they have new backpacks, new versions of a backpack line called the Axis. And they have a 20 liter, they have like a 22 liter or 20, they have like a, a slightly smaller size than normal. And it kind of has all of the features I'm looking for. And I've been thinking about it. The only downside is it's very, very boxy. Um, it almost looks like if you took the Peter McKinnon everyday bag and something like the low pro bag that has like the webbing all over it and you smash those together, this is kind of what that looks like. And it's just a little like, yeah, it's just a little. <laughs> um, and the other thing is, I guess I've learned this. I don't need side access. It does have, it has side access. The axis has access, um, but, and it's it's supposed to be really good because it's big. It's supposed to be big enough for a Blackmagic Pocket 6K, which is a pretty big camera. However, I have found that on the Brevity where I had side access, I didn't really ever use it. It wasn't something I utilized nearly as much as a top compartment would be. And so on my Manfrotto bag, uh, it just has two side pockets. There's no side access, but there's two really deep side pockets with straps. So you never have to choose. Like, I feel like most of us have done the, I have a water bottle and a tripod. Which one am I going to carry? The Brevity does have tripod straps on the bottom. I should say, so you could put your tripod down there, but then you can't set the bag down and stand it up. It's, you know... So Manfrotto solves that. Uh, the Tenba, that's, I think, other than it, not too crazy about the way that it looks, the only one side pocket thing, which leads me to then the other one, which I'm sure at this point you're like, dude, why aren't you just doing the obvious choice, which would be the Peter McKinnon everyday backpack. And I like, I don't want, I didn't want to want that backpack because I saw the original one and I thought the original was way too expensive. I'm sure the quality is great, but the just way too expensive and way too big. The original backpack still believe both of those things, but the everyday one, 
seems kind of awesome. <laughs> it seems almost like perfect. It's made out of super good material. It's it's relatively sleek and minimal looking. It's not super boxy, but it's still rigid. Um, it's it's expensive, but I think it might be worth it. What I did get was the um, it's the Peter McKinnon Nomadic battery holder. It's like a twenty or thirty dollar little holder for several batteries because the one I had before just got like real floppy and weird. <laughs> and this thing is so freaking nice. It's just a little battery compartment holder to put in my camera bag, but it's like, it's got the magnetic enclosure, the batteries are there, the it's the quality is insane. So that got me thinking, if this little battery thing is that high quality, a, a whole bag made out of this must be super nice. And so I started looking at that a little more and more. It's almost like, it's very similar to my Manfrotto bag, or I should say the Manfrotto bag I have came out after that. So maybe they took some cues from that. Like the top compartments are kind of the same, except the Peter McKinnon one looks like, I haven't used it in person, but it looks like the whole thing opens up much bigger. So the compartment itself is a little bigger on top, but the way that you open it, you can easily put like a whole camera in or out without bumping up against zippers and stuff. That's great. The laptop compartment is its own separate compartment that's on the back panel. It's a backloading bag. So th those right there are huge things, um, and it's it's out of made out of super durable material. Uh, I saw Cody Warner's video the other day. He made this like a year ago, but I didn't see it till the other day, where he took the bag and he like literally was throwing it off of cliffs and throwing it out of moving cars with with equipment in it and stuff. He threw it into a river, and it was totally fine. I think it got like when he threw it out of the car, like a speeding car. I think it got a little scuff or a little like tear in in like the outer part of a material, but that's it. So I was like, okay, this thing's friggin' durable. And the equipment all survived too, except he had like a little laptop in there that got wet when the bag went in a river. I don't plan on dropping any of my camera bags into bodies of water though. So it should be okay. It should be fine in a rainstorm. Um, so that, that seems pretty great. Uh, the, the only things I don't like about, well, there's the price, I guess. And then the configuration, you can get like no dividers, lots of dividers, one big camera cube, two small camera cubes. Now I would probably get the two cubed one because that seems to be the most versatile. And then Peter Lindgren did get the, this is, this is funny because he spent time this summer with Peter McKinnon. Um, and it was funny because Peter called me after this and he was telling me about their trip. And he said that he was bugging Peter L was bugging Peter M why he's not um, vlogging as much. And part of it came down to setup and like, you know, I have to bring everything and all this stuff. And Peter Lindgren is like the most efficient dude I've ever met. And so I guess they spent like hours. I think Peter McKinnon ended up making a video kind of about this, but they spent like hours together trying to reorganize the camera bag to be as efficient as possible. But the funny part in this case is that the bag they were working like, the, like the per, it was the person's own signature bag that they were organizing for that person. And that's really funny to me. Um, and I ooh, see it's funny to Ben too. The, the thing that's, that happened after that though, which I thought was also really funny is that when Peter Lindgren got home, he went and bought the McKinnon everyday bag to then like show how he would do it. Like, this is how I'm actually going to do it. And I was just asking him, like, now that you've had that bag for a while, do you really like it? And he's like, seriously, it's the best. I don't want any of the camera bags. I'm like, ah, I didn't like, there's a couple of things I don't like about that bag that make me not want to get it. 
and it's all pretty superficial. In terms of functionality, I think that's about as close as I'm going to get. However, uh, one of the faux blogger reviews said that the shoulder straps are a little bit too wide, and the person who wrote that is about my size. So on my Manfrotto backpack, the shoulder straps are pretty comfy, but they're definitely like kind of need to like hold them so it doesn't feel like they're going to slip off of my shoulders. And if this bag is, if the straps are kind of wider than that, that could potentially be pretty uncomfortable. I've heard people say that the straps are uncomfortable after using it for a long time. Like that's where you get lots of sweat and discomfort, not in the back, but on your shoulders, which wouldn't be great. I do live in the desert. It gets very hot anytime you're carrying stuff around most of the year. And the the other thing is like, and this is very silly. I think I've warmed up to it a bit, but I'm not crazy about like the interior of the bag is sort of this like brown. It's like an outdoorsy. It's almost like a 1970s color. It's nice. It's not black. So your stuff's not going to get lost. And it seems to be super high quality. It's just like, it's definitely not the color I would choose if it were like my signature bag. I, I prefer the, the gray and red of the Manfrotto bag that I have. That's a small detail. And the other thing is though, on the back of the bag and on the on all of the dividers are like and not embroidered but it's like you can feel it it's like tactile versions of his skull and not crossbones but it's like a skull and cross knives logo i'm not a, i'm not a skull guy i'm not a skeleton guy not, i have a skull and i enjoy it but that's about as far as i go with that so i'm not into like that kind of branding um, and it's, it's fairly minimal, but it's also kind of not, and it would be awesome. Like if you, again, if you're that person packing a camera bag and it's your signature bag and it has your logo, like emblazoned on it in this cool way, gotta be one of the coolest things ever. But when you're not that person it's just kind of like, I feel like I'm borrowing someone else's bag. Like I know mine says Manfrotto on it, but at least I don't, it's a little different than feeling like. I am borrowing something that belongs to someone else. It's, it's a weird thing, but it's kind of how I feel. I'm not into the branding on it. Um, and as are most people in the world not familiar with specific YouTubers, even ones with giant channels, I feel like that it, it'd be a confusing thing. Like, why does Tom have like skull and crossbones on his bag? Is he like some kind of badass that we didn't know? The answer is no. <laughs> Just buy a signature backpack. That's all. So um, I like... I have a feeling it's almost to me where this has been built up. We have talked for an hour about this, but where this is built up for me is it's almost like the Sony a seven S three where back when I was trying to like, okay, I need to upgrade from the EOS R and I was going through all the Canon cameras trying to do this. And in the back of my mind, I was like, just get the Sony. Like that's the one to get. This is sort of that. Like I have been, I have been, you know, trying to go back and forth. And this is sort of seems the one that might solve a lot of the problems. I was staying away from it because it was so big, but at least from the dimensions that are published online and the dimensions I have measured my existing bag, it's actually slightly smaller than the Manfrotto bag, which is crazy. I don't know if that is the case, you know, like bag measurements are wildly inaccurate online. So you have to just see them in person. Uh, anyway, I kind of feel like this is the Sony a7S III where it's like, just get the thing. And then you get it and you're like, oh crap, I see why everyone loves this thing. So, you know, that, that's my dilemma. I am definitely open to suggestions. I know I could always just like try bags, buy one and, you know, return it if you don't like it. But I don't like doing that. It seems, it just seems wasteful and it's not my favorite thing to do. Um, 
unless something's actually wrong with something, but not just because I didn't like it. So I'm trying to do my research, trying to get recommendations, definitely open to suggestions or um, what would even maybe be the best case scenario is instead of something brand new, something to some way to use what I currently have or readjust it or change it, modify it, that would be even better. So that's my, my camera bag dilemma for the time being. And when I say dilemma, I use the term super loosely because this is actually super fun. Like I love looking at camera bags. I love seeing how people organize their camera bags. Heather and I were just talking about this last night after she did her stream was um, we were talking about people's streaming setups because she's doing a lot of gaming stuff and figuring out how to get the gameplay onto the stream with the game sound where she can hear it, but it's not too loud for this. Like, you know, it's all the common problems anyone who has streamed, especially gaming has come, come over but everybody kind of comes up with a different solution to these same problems. And I think that that is fascinating that there's this one problem, you take 10 different people and get 10 different solutions that all work. And I would, that's where I would love to just like go to look at all those different streaming setups and just see how people are doing them differently. It's like the Final Cut Pro course. Like if I sit down next to anybody editing in Final Cut and watch them do a project, I'm going to learn something and see something interesting in how they have chosen to build their workflow and camera bags are kind of the same thing. It's like, yeah, it's all the same basic gear. It's all the same kind of basic needs. But the mix of like personal preference and experience and all that stuff makes each one a little bit unique. And it's always just been really fun and fascinating to me. So this is a, a little bit more of a, a lighthearted topic than the original one that I had. Uh, but that is that. So next week is going to be a Q&A episode. It's going to be the season eight Q&A episode. So feel free at the time you're hearing this, if you want to submit a cue to be aid, you can uh, send an email to tom at enthusiasmproject.com or you can go to hi-my-name-is-tom.com and then scroll down a little bit and you'll see the submit button to record an audio message to be played or send a video message to the email, whatever you want to do. Uh, do that or keep an eye out to social media because we'll be putting a call for questions out later in the week, this upcoming week, if you're listening to this on the day that it's released. And then we'll be doing a Q&A next week. Before going, though, I definitely want to thank once again Riverside.fm for sponsoring this episode and this entire season. So don't forget, if you would like to give Riverside a try, use the link in the description along with promo code TOM15 for 15% off that subscription with the link in the description. All right. Uh, I was trying to work the word encryption into that, but I couldn't. So thank you to Riverside for sponsoring this episode and this season. Thank you to listening to this episode and this season. Definitely let, let me know what you think about camera bags. I hope you have a safe, happy, healthy rest of your week, and I will see you next time.